Hello, good friends, and welcome to your first Wolves Win edition of the 10,000 Lambs Podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Radke, and I'm here with Julian Andrews. Julian! Have the Wolves really not won a game since we started recording this? I don't think so. Dang. I don't I don't think they have. We're gonna refer to the ten thousand layups curse. It's the curse. There's a the Sports Illustrated curse, and then there's the um probably right next to that is the ten thousand layups. Only slightly below it. Yeah, yeah, pretty close. Well, I mean, we this is another talk for another day. Um Sports Illustrated, they did go kind of down to the dumps. Um, now they're back. They, they, they've hired some actually decent writers. Um, all right. That's, that's talk for another day. Uh, wolves won. We're recording this on a Sunday. You're listening on a Monday wolves beat the Pelicans 120 to 110. Nas leads the way with 20 points. Uh, I mean, I think that the nationally, the, the big talker is that the wolves won without Carl Anthony towns and the wolves won without D'Angelo Russell, who was out with the scheduled rest, even though the night before he played just 20 minutes. Um, and I get it. Like these guys have their built in, it's a shortened season. Um, they have their built in rest days, but it just seemed, I think it seemed weird to a lot of people that Russell was resting after 20 days or 20 minutes the, the day before, especially with how bad the wolves have played and how underwhelming I think Russell had performed. Uh, but regardless wolves win, uh, they are four and eleven, still last in the West, but uh, a win's a win. Julian, how how did you feel about that win on Saturday? Um, you know, I think it's one of those wins that you can't really read too much into in either direction. You know, like yeah. they were bound to win a game sometime, right? And the Pelicans aren't really that good, it seems. No. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I'm glad they won. Like, good mm-hmm. for them. It's always nice. I mean, it's always nice to have that like energy change. I'm like not quite in the point of the season where I'm just like the wolves should be tanking. I'm very close to that point, um, but I'm not quite there yet. So I, I don't know. Good for them. I, I I guess I don't really have strong emotions about it one way or another. So it, the, the wolves are four and 11. They are, uh, let me look at the standings quick. Uh, they're, they're last in the West, but I mean, they're three games out from the eighth seed, right? Which nothing's decided yet. It's when you're 15 games into the season, I guess it's hard to be further than three games back from the six spots ahead of you. But yeah. um, if you're a Wolves fan and you're super optimistic and you're not buying into this, you know, fire whoever talk and maybe we should tank. If you're optimistic, what what is the reasoning for that? I mean, the optimistic take about last night is that the supporting cast finally stepped up, right? So then if you can bring some of those good performances from the supporting cast into, you know, a game where D'Lo and Cat are playing, then all of a sudden maybe you have a good team. I mean, that's I think that's really the only the only take that really makes sense right now based on yeah. one, one win. Yeah, I think it's I think, too, it's based on like you think you're going to get Carl back. And if you think you're a 500 team right. w- with a healthy Carl. And then you got to think like you hope that Russell can play. And I, I get number like Russell's numbers don't look that bad. And I think for some reason, he's got like a lot of Twitter fans and they, they don't really seem realistic. The D'Angelo like, yes, I can. I understand if a player puts up 21 points and six assists and shoots four or 10 from the three point line. Like I understand those are solid numbers, but just by watching the game, um, 
like even watching Saturday night's game, it was like, and I love Jordan McLaughlin, but just the difference between the, and I'm not saying McLaughlin's better than D'Angelo Russell. You might be. I, you could argue that he's a better fit for the Wolves when, when they move the ball like that. Um, I don't know. It, it just seems like, and I've talked about this before, so like people are probably getting sick of it, but it just seems like the D'Angelo Russell, like, the, like don't t- say bad about like, anything bad about him or like we can't. And I get it. He was like the savior that we got at the trade deadline, but he hasn't I mean, saved anything yet. Yeah. And like, like, let's be if, careful if you, with calling if him a you, savior. If you've been like, oh yeah, this is what we expected out of Russell. Like this is exactly what we wanted. Okay. If that's what you think, then. I mean, this team's never going to make the playoffs ever if that's what you're happy with. Yeah. I mean, I agree with you. I, I We were talking about this a little bit before we started recording, but I'd be like, you know, <laughs> there's like such a limited sample size right now. It's kind of hard to make any kind. Of, I mean, this is what we do, right? Like we're, we're doing a podcast about the Wolves, so we have to come to some conclusions. But, you know, I think that to say that I, I think the wrong take here is that because they won last night, the Wolves are better without Russell. And I think that's wrong because teams do well without their best guys all the time. Like, I don't know if you watched the Suns Nuggets game last night, but the Suns were really competitive without Devin Booker. That does not mean that they're better without Devin Booker. Sometimes there is just a, when a guy goes out, a certain number of shot attempts open up a certain role in the offense opens up. And for a limited number of games, other people can fill that role. Like what really makes stars stars is their ability to do that consistency consistently and their ability to do that um you know night overnight against all kinds of competition and i don't think that russell has done that either so i'm not saying that that i'm pro that i think that you know russell's a star like i'm not saying that but i also think that saying that because the wolves supporting cast won a game without him that like all of a sudden the wolves would be better off without him it's just, it's kind of a reach. And I've just seen that. I'm not, I know that's not what you're saying, but I've seen that a lot on Twitter and it's just kind of like, all right, like, let's, let's calm down. Yeah. And, I, I, and that also stems from how bad he's been in the games where he has played. So I understand the impulse to do that or to make that argument, but it's just like, okay. Yeah, I agree. I, I like, I guess my point would be that in, in similar, we've talked about this in the past before too. Like when a guy is out, it always reminds me of if, if you play NBA 2k at all, and you have Damian Lillard on your team or, you know, whoever, and you like you're doing a franchise and you want that player to average 30 points over the course of a franchise. When you try to constantly get somebody 30 points in a game on 2K, it's actually kind of hard to win. I'm, yeah. I'm, not, I'm not very good at it, but like it, it's difficult because you're just constantly trying to get that player touches and the offense just doesn't run very organically where Yes, in a very small sample size last night, the team played without Russell and won. But I do think there are moments there where like, you see uh, McLaughlin make that extra pass or you see McLaughlin drive into the paint, collapse the defense, hit the cutting guy. Uh, and, and I think it's pretty apparent now that Ricky and Russell should probably not play together on the court because uh, I don't know if, I don't know what it is, but it, it seems when they're both on the court, it's Russell, not Rubio, that has the ball. And I mean, if we know that Ricky Rubio cannot like effectively He's not an off-ball guy, yeah, yeah, effectively, you're saying like, okay, you're going to play shooting guard, and I get the whole like we have multiple ball handlers on the court at the same time, but like 
I would argue that if you're a wing in the NBA, you should be able to handle the ball. Um, Ricky Rubio is a throwback point guard. Yeah. And the, the, we got so excited about him coming off the bench and then it turned into, wow, Ricky looks so lost with, and I had this as a segment today before last night's game to talk about the Ricky Rubio experiment hasn't worked out and whose fault is that? And I would say it's probably not Ricky's because the team hasn't really put him in a situation to succeed. With that being said, I don't like to talk about this very often because I think 15 games into a season, it's probably not fair to judge if the front office has done its job or if the coach is in over you know his or her head or w- whatever the case may be. But at this point in the season, is it too early to point blame or do you see a clear fault with either how the roster has been put together or how uh, Ryan Saunders and his staff has, have coached that group? I think that we have to reserve. So I'm going to focus on the front office. I I think that we have to reserve judgment on the front office because if you think about where the wolves were when Gerson came in and where they are now, I think there's little question that they are in a better position to potentially succeed and it hasn't worked out, but we also still, and this sounds like an excuse, but we still have not seen this roster, you know, like, and there's only, you know, to some extent, like that excuse starts to kind of ring false. You know, like at some point, you just have to say, well, if you can't put together guys that can stay on the court, then that's a problem. But we still have not seen Kat and D'Lo really play consecutive games together, you know? And so I, I, I don't think we can like say for sure that this is the front office's fault. In terms of the coaching, it's kind of the same thing, you know, like we still haven't seen the roster together so how do you judge saunders who spent you know probably the whole offseason developing an offensive and a defensive scheme based around having cat and d'lo and then all of a sudden hasn't had either one of them or it hasn't had them together really at all so and then you look at the guys on the roster and it's like what and what we have is a bunch of guys who are being asked to do something that is not their strong suit and and so collectively clearly there's a lot of responsibility to go around like it's bad to make excuses like it's bad for the team it's bad for the franchise it's bad for the culture it's bad for the players the front office shouldn't be doing it the coaches shouldn't be doing it like nobody should be making excuses but at the same time it's pretty hard to point to one factor in what has been honestly kind of a tire fire and say like it's your fault so it's tough to walk that balance between over blaming and holding people accountable because there has to be some accountability. Otherwise, you know, what are you doing? But I think it's still too early to be pointing fingers. Yeah, I would agree. I, you know, I, I think there's certainly things that Saunders could have done better this season. I mean, the and Rubio thing, right? Like I, that, the Rubio thing, which seemed obvious from the beginning of like, why would you play him at off ball? But you know, you, you, you trust Ryan and, the thing is with with these coaches, of course, on Twitter after the fact, it's so easy to well, why was so and so in the game at this point? And that's why they lost. I mean, Ryan and his staff are putting in more hours of research to understand these situations more than all of us. Like, so I, I reserve my right. Like, I, I just would be a little more patient. But I will say this, and I've been doing it for my whole life, ever since the Kevin Garnett left the the Wolves. 
we try to convince ourselves as Wolves fans that some of these guys are like really good. And guess what? They're not. Yeah. Like Jared Vanderbilt. Okay, he's fine. But we all get so everybody on Twitter got so goddamn excited because we saw a guy dive after a ball. And it's like, hey, guess why Jared Vanderbilt went later in the draft and no team has really wanted him. And now we think he's like the answer to be our power forward. No, he wouldn't be a rotational player anywhere. Um, why do we think we got Jake Lehman for three years and $11 million? And this is like bargain signing. And yes, he had a little bit of a good run here. And, you know, at the end of his Portland run, he was fine, but he's not a guy that should play 25 minutes in an NBA game. We try to convince ourselves that, okay, maybe he's a starting power forward. No, he's not. He's not. Juancho Hernan Gomez. He can stretch the floor. He can't play a lick of defense. And he, every time he goes in the paint, he just is completely lost as a, as, as a big. We signed him to a deal this offseason. We all knew we had problems at the power forward spot. That's our starting power forward. I, and, and, and like Nas Reed, right? And he's actually, he had 20 points last night. He's actually looked okay. But still, last year, we tried to convince ourselves that he was this going to be this next big thing. And it's, well, no, the real win is you got a player on your roster for three years, $6 million, and he could develop into a backup center one day. Okay, that's great. I just think that we, we do this thing year after year where we're not realistic with expectations for certain players, and we don't ask bigger questions as to why the Timberwolves for this player. The same goes for Ed Davis. Everybody raved about Ed Davis from team to team to team. And Ed Davis goes to the Knicks in a, in a trade. And Tom Thibodeau, who wants to win now, what happens? They just trade him for basically nothing to a to a Timberwolves team. Like I, So every time that the Timberwolves get a player in, and I get I was part of the problem for seven years because I worked for the team and it was my job to hype these guys up. But oftentimes... It, the, these players that you get on fringe deals and these bargain deals. And we all think Gerson Rosas is this genius. And I think he's very smart. So I'm not going to take anything away from him, but sure. let's not over-examine everything that we do thinking that we, we, we found something that the rest of the NBA didn't figure out because it hasn't happened in 30 years in Minnesota. So we, we need to stop pretending that I don't know. That's my thing. And, I, then there's certain players like Jordan McLaughlin, who I think that is actually a good player and should be a rotational player. So here's the thing. And you've been a Wolves fan for longer than I have. So you might be able to speak. I mean, you just did speak very well to this, but decades of incompetence have really moved. I think the goalposts, like if you look at the things that Wolves fans kind of laud these guys for, those are basic expectations on other teams, like diving for a loose ball, like hitting open shots, like playing defense. Like these are like, on, on other teams, these are things that you have to be doing or you're not going to be on the roster, mm-hmm. you know? And so I think that, like, the fact that Wolves fans really hype up guys for, like, doing, like, the basics does not help, you know? It, it doesn't help the culture of the organization. And, you know, I also want to talk about, like, culture a little bit because I think when we think about Ryan and the job he's done, and you kind of alluded to this a little bit, like, coaching in a game and coaching not in a game are different skill sets. And I think that... Ryan has work to do when it comes to in-game coaching. Now, like what we've heard from him behind the scenes and in terms of like as a culture guy and like in terms of like making guys feel comfortable and making the Wolves building a place 
where people want to be, like we shouldn't ignore that. Like that's very mm-hmm. important, and that's important. not something that the wolves have had, so or, or always had in the past. So I don't want to, I don't want to like downplay that, but at the same time, like Ryan's a developing coach, right? Like you expect him to make mistakes also, and so there has to be like there has to be an alignment in what you expect out of Saunders, you know. And if the organization thinks that this is a team that can really push to win right now, which it seems like they're not. But if, if it is, then they probably need a different coach, you know, one that's not developing. That's no knock on Ryan. He's just only been a coach for like not even two years. And, you know, making those in-game decisions and those rotational moves, like within the context of like an intense game, like that is a skill. So, you know, I don't want I'm to, I'm not being hard on Ryan. It's like, of course he's going to make like little rotational mistakes or do things in-game that aren't right. Like he's learning how to be a coach. Like he's been a coach for less long than most of these guys have been players. So it's, I don't know. It's just, it's just, there's, there's a misalignment in, in what the expectations for the team are. And then like how we're evaluating the people involved, if that makes sense. It's just, I don't know. It's a weird situation. Yeah. And, and Rosas has been smart saying that I think he said to, to Chris Hine of the star tribune before the season that the expectation for this year wasn't to make the playoffs which is an easy thing to say when you think your team might make the playoffs, but you're looking for a little bit of a mattress to fall back on. Uh, So, which is fine. Like that's fine, but okay. You don't make the playoffs this year, which they're not going to. Uh, We'll see what happens with that pick, but also then you're getting to the last two years of the Russell and towns contract. You have to figure that out. If Glenn Taylor sells the team, uh, I would imagine, you know, for, for a losing franchise, you have to think that cleaning house is something that would be an option, uh, which I don't ever want to call for anybody's job, but I'm, I'm just saying like, yes, you want to build the right way, but there also needs to be a sense of urgency at the same time. Uh, and I, it feels like the wolves think they got win now players in like Russell and they have towns and they have, they got Beasley. And I thought, I think they probably thought Hernan Gomez would give more, but if this is your win now, eh, Um, It's really hard to differentiate like kind of spin from what the front office actually believes. But if the front office like legitimately thinks that this is like their core, that's going to win playoff games. Like that's a problem. And at that point it is Gerson's fault. Yeah. We're in trouble then. Uh, All right. Let's move on from the wolves and just to uh, just break down what the wolves have upcoming on their schedule. Uh, They are. At Golden State on Monday and at Golden State on Wednesday. So before we talk next, there'll be two games of the Timberwolves against Andrew Wiggins. And we're all going to talk about it and overreact to everything that happened. Can't wait. That's why we love this stuff. Um, Speaking of overreacting, Ben Simmons, three-point watch. He hasn't attempted any since our last podcast. Tough tough look for me. Uh, You're fine. It'll it'll be okay. Also, the 76ers first place in the East. I mean, they're, they're, yeah. I mean, Embiid's having an MVP caliber season. He's having, uh, yeah, he's really good. And it turns out when you just get a bunch of shooters around, because uh, I, I get the Embiid we, two years ago or three years ago when that the main topic was every big can shoot. Embiid was shooting way too many threes and he wasn't super efficient. But it turns out when your point guard or center can't shoot, it's a good idea to get a bunch of guys around them that can. Yeah, that's what they did, and it's working. I mean, also the question was, can Embiid play more than like 40 games? Yeah. And, you know, clearly when Embiid's healthy, the Sixers are better. I think 
that's not <laughs> that's probably the coldest take ever. But I mean, yeah, it, it, when Embiid's playing like an MVP, the Sixers are going to be way better because I do like Ben Simmons a lot, but I kind of am starting to see the ceiling on him. Unfortunately, I think you're probably right. If he's not, if he's not willing to put in the work to right. figure out what he needs to do uh, to shoot from the three point line, then yes, he probably is limited because th- th- he's that a really good player, but. Still a really good player, but it goes from being like an all NBA third team player to a, and maybe it's way too early to even say this. I don't know, but it's like a, in five years, a player that we think of as like a total lock for the hall of fame because he has the skills. If he's, if, if, if you're averaging 16 points and, you know, 10 assists and nine rebounds or whatever consistently on a winning team, that's legit. Yeah. But, and, and he's like an all defensive player. Uh, but if you can't figure out the, the shooting, you're right. There are some limitations. A player there hasn't been much limitations on this season. Um, have you been paying attention to what's happening in Cleveland? You know, not as much as I would like to, to be perfectly honest. I haven't watched a ton of Cavs, um, but I was thinking back. I rem- I don't remember, like his first year in the league, I remember at Target Center watching a game and seeing Sexton play and yeah. being like, I thought this guy was supposed to suck, you know, because like you you watch him play and he wasn't like making all of his shots in that game. But I remember watching him and like, dang, like the separation he's getting and the quickness, like he looks legit. But then he just kind of was really, really inefficient and wasn't, you know, wasn't very good. But then he comes into this season seemingly having fixed all that. And all of a sudden the Cavs have like Damon CJ Light. And he, we got to I mean, we got to talk right about how the Wolves really wanted to get Garland. Yeah, I, I mean, I, people know that story by now, right? Like, or maybe if if you're listening to this and you don't, but that was the whole thing of the 2019 draft where Wolves trade up from 11 to six. With they trade Dario and the 11th pick t- to six because uh, that's where the the Cavs picked fifth. And a year after taking Colin Sexton, there's no way that the Cavs would take another guard like him. And well, they did. Uh, so the Wolves got, I don't want to say they got stuck with Jarrett Culver. He played fine on Saturday night. But uh, I think that most Wolves fans would probably rather have um, any of those guys that were taken uh, in that top 15. But, uh, yeah, Sexton this season, 26.4 points, 52% from the field, 47% from three. Uh, and the most important stat is the Cavs are 8-7. and seven. And uh, I don't. I think Kevin Love has pretty much been hurt the whole season. Uh, they're six in the East. Uh, they beat Brooklyn. I think they beat Brooklyn in back-to-back games, if I'm if I'm not mistaken. Uh, and and Sexton went toe to toe with with Kyrie and those guys and, and won. But um, I mean, Julian, you and I covered that draft class like uh, a lot, pretty in depth. And that was the the Luka Doncic draft draft class. Um, I just want to like. And I know we talked about how we we talked about this on a pod a few weeks ago about how some draft classes are super super overrated um, because we all speculate right like right now everybody's saying well man the twenty nine or the twenty twenty draft with Edwards going first they're going to be really weak and then the next year's draft is going to be really strong at the end of the day these kids are they, the 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 draft classes that we're calling strong we're speculating on how seventeen and eighteen year old kids will end up in five years from now. So that's, that's tough to make, but the 2018 draft class. And we all said that we thought that it would be just an absolutely loaded class. Let's run through some of these names because 
you can make an argument that these players should be top five picks regardless of what draft class they were in. DeAndre Aiden, Luka Doncic, Jaron Jackson Jr., Trey Young, Colin Sexton, Shea Gilgis-Alexander, Mikael Bridges, Miles Bridges, Michael Porter Jr., Dante DiVincenzo, Lonnie Walker, who's looked really good lately, Kevin Herter, Josh Akogi, uh keep going down. Was, to the, was Tyler Harrow in that group? Uh, that He was in the, the next year. He was oh, in the yep. Zion draft. Uh, Devontae Graham, Mitchell Robinson, Gary Trent Jr., um, Bruce Brown has looked good. De'Anthony Melton picked 46th, and, and he's he just got a huge contract. Uh, Shake Melton. Uh, obviously, not all of those guys are like top five guys, but solid players. Though. They're like those are all rotational players in the NBA. And I mean, you look at Luca. You have an all-world player, and you have multiple all-stars in that group. So, uh, man, Colin Sexton looks really, really good. Uh, one thing to to talk about that it, it was kind of fun watching that Brooklyn and and Cleveland game going back and forth, watching Kyrie and Sexton. And I hadn't even thought about this. Sexton was the huge piece of that uh, Celtics trade. So the uh, Celtics gave up the pick that ended up being Colin Sexton, Jay Crowder, Isaiah Thomas uh, to the Cavaliers for Kyrie Irving. Looking back now, obviously we know how the Kyrie Irving situation went in Boston. The Cavaliers still look like the clear winner or they, they look like the clear winners. If you're the Celtics, you do that trade a million out of a million times just because you got Kyrie and to see what would have happened. But man, he's fun to watch. But more importantly, like I, I'm excited to look back in 20 years from now and watch a ESPN documentary and about that draft class. Yeah, I mean, it's it's really interesting because I think we all kind of were like, why is Luca not the number one pick? And you know, Luca should have been the number one pick, but Aiden looks really good. Yeah, you know, like, and you know, I get it. If you're the Suns, I, I personally wouldn't have me personally as an NBA GM, um, <laughs> I wouldn't have passed on Luca. But you know, Aiden looks amazing, and yeah, uh, SGA is awesome. Like, such a sweet just influx of talent in that draft, which so just really made the league better. Yeah, and it continues to as we see these players um, kind of progress, and uh, you know, like if, for, to get on the Timberwolves. You, you look at Josh Okogian, when the Timberwolves made that pick, Julian and I had done our research on literally every player. And I think we we wrote a roster or a, a, a draft profile on Josh Okogian. I think Julian wrote that. But I had to interview Tibbs right after the pick, and I had prepped for all these guys. So we're at, Who's the guy from Creighton that we really thought they were going to take? Uh, the guy from Creighton ended up being... Kyrie Thomas. Yeah, that's who, who we thought they were going to take. Good job by then. Well, we realize now why they didn't because Justin Patton said that they were best friends and that's who he wanted to draft. And yeah, you know, when you're taking advice from Justin Patton, we have some some bigger question marks. Um, so the Wolves took a Kogi. And if you look at basically like the players taken after him, it's hard to make a real argument. I mean, Yes, you can look down to like Mitchell Robinson or Gary Trent or Devontae Graham, who are picked. Keldon Johnson in that group too. He's like uh, pretty good this year. So in that group of guys taken right after, uh, are you talking? Did you say Keldon Johnson? Yeah, was he a year later? He was a year later as well. I'm man, I'm off today. It's all right. It's all right. Uh, guys taken right after Akogi, Grayson Allen, who's actually like pretty as good. much. Yep. He just he gets. He's a good player. Uh, Chandler Hutchison, which hasn't he hasn't really done anything in Chicago. Aaron Holiday, he's looked good for Indiana. 
uh, Anthony Simons, who was supposed to be like the guy for Portland, and then, it, and then it seemed like maybe Gary Trent Jr. is now's the be. time with CJ's broken foot, which sucks, by the way. Yeah. Um, now's the time for Anthony. So stay tuned. Step up. But yeah, just looking at that draft class, a lot of fun. Um, a lot of really, really good players. Really fun. Really fun. Super duper fun. Soups dupes fun. All right. Uh, <laughs> let's go to. I, we haven't had a better name for it, so we'll go to Kyle's Card Corner, and nobody's recommended anything. Uh, else. Somebody, somebody just said you should call it Michael Cards, like your Instagram. Or oh, Michael, Kyle, Kyle's Michael cool cards. cards. Yeah. Okay, Michael Cards. Michael Cards. Your cool Ka- cards. Michael Cool Card. <laughs> That's what I thought right away. I was like, "Who is Michael Cool Card?" Uh, <laughs> it's Mikhail Cool Cool Card. Mikhail Cool Card. Uh, okay, so I wanted to focus on this one because it's one that I actually I own this card. Do you and still own this card? I still do. Okay. Yes, because I, I was texting you about this on Saturday night. So there's a LeBron James. Obviously, if you have the rookie card, good for you. Um, it's worth a lot of money. But in the sports card business, of really, really good players, their second-year card is valuable as well, which there's a running jokes joke among sports, the sports card community of – somebody finding like a base card of a player and it's, you know, like their 10th season. And they, they say LeBron James, 10 year card, buy it now, whatever. It's a joke based on like these second year cards that aren't rookie cards. Uh And whoever made the rule that like their sophomore season is also valuable. It's a silly, silly thing. But with that being said, the 2004 tops Chrome base, it is a, uh, white border LeBron James uh, dunking backwards kind of. Um, so is the PSA 10 of that, if you're lucky enough to have that it's right now, it is listed at $3,200. Uh, oh that's, that's the recent sales. Julian in less than a month on December 28th, that card is worth $1,050. Jeez. That is a 204.76% increase. Over the last 30 days. Now. Analytics, Kyle. He's out. Watch out, everyone. I'm out. Uh, Don't know how to run my bank account, but apparently with sports cards, I know what I'm doing. Uh, Okay. So then we go to the PSA 9. That is the card I have. Uh, Currently, this card is going for the last sale was $617, uh, which obviously, right, the difference between a PSA 9 and 10 Right there, you can tell that it's the difference of about $2,500. So it's huge. And a PSA 9 is still a really, really good grade. Uh, PSA 10 is obviously the best. Um, So this card was selling for, on um, January 4th, this card was selling for $274. It's up to $617 now, uh, which is, that's about 125% increase. The reason I find this card so interesting, Julian, is because I received it from PSA over the summer, right? And my uh-huh. plan my plan was if the Los Angeles Lakers had won the title and LeBron James is a big part of it, which would be was gonna happen if they won the title, yeah. obviously. I was going to try to sell the card and I was hoping to make right around that like six hundred dollar range. Well, sales of that card peaked at like six hundred and fifty dollars or uh sorry, three hundred and fifty dollars after the finals, which was way too low. And now randomly in the middle or late January, this card is going to go up to $700 and I'm probably going to sell it. And if you have that card, you probably should too. So 
That is my card of the week. And I don't understand the card market at all. It doesn't make any sense. Somebody please help me. Do you want to talk about Top Shot? Kind of. Um, I just sold a card for $700. You did? Yeah. What card? <laughs> it's like right a, now? That, yeah, that KD card. Breaking what is it? What is it? What? Wow. <laughs> $700. Like right uh, now. Yeah. yeah, just now. I just checked. I don't. I don't even know. Well, this is breaking news all around, Julian. I actually just I, sold a lot of cards. I sold a Dame for 55. I sold a Joel Embiid for 10. Just kind of a base card. KD was like a 135 out of uh, uh, 7,500. It was just him hitting a three, 700 and, bucks. And you sold, um, I have the, the, the KD 7,500. You sold for $700. Mm -hmm. I have that card. What What number do you have? I don't know, but I'm selling it for 500. I got to go up. Yeah. I'm Man. not thinking that I might have gone too low. Just the way that like, but I mean, you take the money, you know, like. Uh, I had so I did not sell my card yet, which I'm actually glad at, glad so I can adjust the, the price. And I'm sorry if you guys are listening to this and you don't know what's going on. Look up NBA Top Shot. I don't know what it is. It's basically you're getting like player highlights, impacts. Think of cards that are just in the form of video highlights. Is that fair, Julian? Yeah, they're like crypto basketball cards. We've talked about this a little bit in the past. It's like really hard to explain. They're basically like YouTube videos, but they're worth a lot of money. Mm -hmm. So I've invested $50. And so I've netted probably about $800 in the last two weeks. I got to... I, I don't know how to get my money out of it though. That's that's the that's the funny part. It, it goes to this thing called Dapper, which is like kind of a cryptocurrency trader, um, which is sweet, I guess. But now I just have you know a lot of money in there, and I don't know how to get it out. But we'll Julian, see. Julian, I'll, I'll answer your question. Um, what number was your Durant card? One thirty-five. Oh, so pretty low. Yeah. Yeah, mine's six six thousand. Okay. Yeah. And the ones around me, somebody's trying to sell it for $6,000, but oh the rest God. of the people are 500, 300, 500. Yeah. I should have cranked mine up, but I was kind of like, if I keep it down, maybe it'll sell, you know? And it did. Yeah. So congratulations so, to the person who just bought that. I have a little more money now. I sold a card last week for $555. Um, this is, it's a wild thing. Go check it out. It's almost impossible to buy a pack. So if you do sign up and yeah. you're, trying to figure out how you get a card. I will tell you that it's hard to do, but if you're smart and you want to bet on players, you can always buy players highlights and yep. then try to sell them again. I don't really understand what's going on, but um, basically I got all my cards for free to be an ambassador for them. And yeah. it's, it's a lot of fun. And now I just have a bunch of money in my account and to get it out, Julian, you basically just have to um, contact support okay, and they create a ticket for you and you're going to be rich. It's going to be Let's great. Go. That's what we like uh, to hear. Or we're all going to be put in jail. Pretty sick it's, though, yeah? This is, it's pretty fun. Like, um, I don't know if like now's the time to get out because everything is just going to be more expensive going forward and it's going to be impossible to get packs. But at the same time, like, kind of cool. I feel like for the first time in my life, I actually like hit something at the right time. I agree. And the thing is, even if, so in my mind, right, like, if I sell a card for $500 and in two months it goes for five grand, like 
yeah like, oh well but you still made five that stinks but i didn't buy the card for 450 and then sold it for a 50 dollar profit i got the card for like you basically for free or you buy these packs like kd card in a nine dollar pack exactly it's yeah. great this is great um all right uh before we close out and um you guys probably aren't even listening anymore you're like these guys are talking about because i it's actually fun talking to you about it because i i try to talk to um um jenna about it a lot uh-huh. and she is half like half intrigued and half annoyed and appalled that this, yeah. would, that this happens and whenever i tell <laughs> her if i make a big sale like i think i sold a card for 200 dollars uh yesterday Mm-hmm. like she doesn't really believe that it's real money yeah and that i'll ever be able to see it so it's more of like that's cute um good work kiddo so uh that's that's where i'm at um all right before we go uh restaurant of the week julian have you ever tried beludo's pizza i have not so i'm going to tell that? you it's in south minneapolis uh it's like the best pizza i've ever had and i like pizza a lot and i try it a lot it is uh, like if you like pepperoni pizza, their pepperonis are like the ultimate pepperoni pool, like the little like where it pools in the grease mm-hmm. and the pizza is just like salty enough and there's like salt on the crust. Uh, if you've gone before, you know what I'm talking about. It's it's really, really yeah, good. Totally. They also have empanadas, which we made the mistake of thinking there would be like small empanadas. So we ordered like 50 of them. Uh-huh. Um, don't do that because they're not small. You can fit like you eat like two or three, and that's your meal. So uh, go check them out. Uh, we, we went there I don't know, two weeks ago, and there was a, there was a line uh, to to get your to go order. And somebody walked by and said, "Is this the pe- best pizza ever?" I hadn't had it yet, and I said, "It must be." And I think now that it might be the best pizza ever. Heck yeah, I'll definitely so, try it. There's 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 been a rise in really good pizza in the Twin Cities. I feel like. Yeah. There's one. There's one by my house called Tommy's Pizza. Maybe I'll talk about them on another uh, restaurant of the pod. But uh, I feel like for a long time it was kind of hard to get like non kind of square cut pizza, and now mm-hmm. it's really it's really business booming. Yeah, yeah. Go check them out again. Tell them the Ten Thousand Lamps podcast sent you. They'll be confused. Again, they usual. will be confused. They will have no idea. They will think you're trying to rob them. But do it. It's good promo for the show, and that's what we care about. So, uh, thank you guys for listening. Uh, We will talk to you on Thursday. We have a guest. We can't tell you who that guest is because it's top secret. Or we just don't have one yet. One of the two. You can guess, yeah. (laughs) We'll talk to you soon. (laughs) Bye-bye.